It's turkey time. Huh? I'm Austin. This is the film room. And this week we're taking a look at probably about the most extreme opposites that you can get film-wise. I and mean, I cannot imagine two films that are greater opposites on this scale. But they're united by one factor. Ben Affleck. We're looking at yes. uh, his absolute triumph of Gilly. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're looking at the absolute bottom of Gili, and for the record, I do not want that edited out. I'm actually kind of glad that I fumbled that because it sounds sarcastic. We're looking at Gili and Argo, just to cut to the quick. We're we're looking at Gili and Argo uh, this week. One his pit, one his up, one his ultimate triumph. And really, I don't blame Affleck too much for Gili. Because he was he was simply a pawn. Yeah, he was a hired hand. Yeah, he was. I mean, his acting wasn't the best in it, but I think he did the best he could with what he had. Yeah, I think that's the key there. Uh, th- there are people I'm going to be calling out on this cast about Gili for. Affleck's not one of them. Um, really not going to be one of them. Whereas when we get to Argo, I'm going to be saying a lot more about Affleck because he was the director. He does have to take, well, frankly, credit. He gets to take credit for that because, well, as I said, they're extreme opposites. Argo is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose the best way to begin would be maybe to talk about our thoughts on Affleck's films before Gilly, perhaps. Yeah. Should we know it that he um he and Matt Damon best buds back in the day they probably still are but they pretty much did all their movies together uh they wrote Goodwill Hunting one of my favorite movies yes and it won an Oscar and pretty much set up the entire genre of films or entire subsect it's one of the best written screenplays and I've the copy of the printed screenplay that I've got. Uh, includes a lot of scenes that didn't make it into the finished film, and I think that script is probably even better. I mean, it's it's really an amazing piece of work. Uh, so now it's 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 still in print, I believe, and it's it's well worth a read because it's just an amazing piece of writing. But uh, you know, of course, you've got that one. You've got. Um, Damon's actually in Chasing Amy quickly, but I'm not going to say too much about Chasing Amy because we're going to have a lot to say about that one in a few moments. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, then, I mean, basically what happened was Affleck did his two films with Michael Bay, um, Armageddon, which, damn it, I still like, okay? <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but I did enjoy it. What do you think of Armageddon? I haven't seen it in at least... 10 or 12 years. Me either. So I can't say too much about it, except I did see it. I enjoyed it at the time. And then Pearl Harbor, which I have really clear thoughts on. I haven't seen it in about as long, and I just hate it. So, we, so, so we've so we gotten through that. Um, 
then I guess the next big mark for Affleck, theoretically, would be, you know, the string of, just the string of tabloid success that he came with Gigli. But before we get to that, there are two movies I do want to address. Changing Lanes, which nobody saw back in 2002, which I think may be one of his best films. Have you seen it? I don't believe I have. With Samuel L. Jackson? No, I don't think so. It's an amazingly good film. I think it's one of the most underrated films of the last decade, uh, about two men who get into a car accident, and it just winds up leading them to try and wreck each other's lives. And it's a really fascinating morality play about the lives that we live when we come to see that really, at the end of the day, these, these men were headed for this no matter what. Hmm. It's amazing. And then there's Daredevil. Daredevil. Boy, does that film set up a lot. Yeah, Daredevil sets up a lot. Uh, I I guess the first thing that I want to note is that I actually quite like the film a lot. Yeah, me too. I saw it in the theater uh, back when it was released. And yeah, even upon revisits, I still still like it. It's very creatively done. It's, It's a good Daredevil movie. It's not perfect, but it's a good Daredevil movie. But we'll get to the other things about that movie to address on the other side of Gigli. Because yes. now we're finally at the moment where we can discuss Gigli. I think I know in the last cast, maybe I didn't, but it was exactly ten years ago. It's available on Netflix if you if you want to see it. Um, if we've done our job, you won't want to see it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this is our first time seeing this. Like we are ten years removed from this, and neither of us had seen it up until this point. We saw it specifically for the cast. We're removed from the hype. So if it was to turn out to be a lost treasure, who knows? Because there were a lot of films that were trashed on initial release that oh, yeah. I quite like. Um, you know, an Affleck movie that got really terribly crapped on that I absolutely love and actually I think it's one of the director's best is Mallrats. Yeah. But then again, that's kind of become a much more accepted theory. I mean, I don't actually know anybody who hates the movie. I actually know most people who love it. And I sure as hell love it. Yeah, um, Ben Affleck, another part of his career, he's all, he also uh, was in a lot of Kevin Smith films. Yes. Um, but he was one of his regulars. Dogma. Which Kevin Smith used him really well. Yeah, oh, he did, he did. Um, yeah. There's one film that you and I disagree on, but again, we'll, we'll be coming to that later. Yeah, yeah. But, Gili, we're now ten years removed from the hype, so if it was to turn out to be a lost classic, you know, we would we would be in a mindset to rediscover it. I mean, there have been a lot of movies that people really hated that I, I liked. And I thought, well, this could have been one of them. I went in with no expectations. I didn't know what to expect. I kind of, I will, I will admit that I did expect it to be a little bad, but I also wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I guess one of the prejudices I had going in was I expected it to be a comedy. Yeah, you expected it to be a comedy or a movie at the very bare minimum, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. No, no, it wasn't either of those. Also, we have to note, uh, one of the prejudices that people had back when it started was Benifer. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck were a notorious couple back then, and a lot of people kind of hated it, mostly because of the media exposure, overexposure. And, of course... Because of terms like benefit. Yeah. Annoying, so, annoying terms. So we're removed from that. We haven't seen that in a while. And I personally 
I personally don't give a shit about celebrity couples, so it's never been a thing with me. No, we are removed from it, but, uh, boy, ugh, that's, we, we still sat down and watched it, and with clear, <laughs> open eyes, I'm just gonna let you take it away. Okay, so, where should I start? Geely, you know, the film opens on kind of an upbeat comic musical note. Um, like it, you know, it starts like any comedy would. You know, like kind of a thing that says, okay, this is supposed to be funny. And of course it opens on, you know, Affleck talking to the camera. And you think, oh no, he's not going to do this all the time. No, he just does it for that one scene. For the reveal that he's talking to a guy in a dryer, which he's going to turn on. You know, he's interrogating him. Like, okay, he's gangster, whatever. Um, that guy's never mentioned again, but he served a purpose. The first thing I noticed, there is a ton of dialogue in this movie that says absolutely nothing. I mean, it's it's a very wordy script. Like, you get the impression that he was trying to fulfill a word count. And also you get the impression that he was trying really, really hard. And I want you to know that I will personally excoriate anyone responsible for the tiniest fuck-up in this action. And I want you to understand that. Yes, Lewis. Yes, Lewis? Do you happen to know what excoriate means? Uh, it's not coming to me at the moment. It means to strip or wear off the skin of, to flay. Now, I am learning a word a day, and it is critical to use these words in conversation, but that's not why I use it in this conversation. In this conversation, I used it because I meant it. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be going now. And this is just pointless. It's just a bunch of words for the sake of fitting more words in. One of the comparisons that we both made, like we both live tweeted this. I slowly went insane on my Twitter. It took me six hours to get through this movie. I highly recommend reading uh, his thoughts on Twitter, by the way. Uh, we both, and I think you live tweeted it to an extent. Uh, you wouldn't lose your mind as much as I did unless you did internally, more internally. But we both couldn't help but compare it to ta to Tarantino dialogue. Which is rich. Yeah. And the difference is Tarantino's dialogue actually helps build character and service the plot. I mean, it It's tense, it builds, and, you know, even if slowly. But it's fascinating, and it works. Yeah, it's gripping. I do love the taste of a good burger. Mmm. You know what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in France? No. Tell them, Vincent. Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. You know why they call it that? Uh, because of the metric system? Check out the big brain on bread! Anyway, moving on. He meets this kid in a home for the mentally handicapped. And he just takes the kid. Like, I don't think there was any security to be had. Like, he even he even tries to take the kid by force. He's like, <laughs> and nobody in the and, facility reacts, even though this would be a clear time to react. Like, nobody, nobody says, okay, that's enough. You have to go now. You know, because obviously this is someone the kid does not know. And he just takes him by, like, luring him out with dialogue. Pointless, pointless dialogue. 
and the kid keeps going on about, we have to go to the Baywatch. I'm not going to try to imitate this kid. Like, he, the actor was good. The actor yeah. was really good. You can't fault him. Yeah, I gotta give credit where credit is due. He actually really was trying mm -hmm. uh, some of his gestures and tics. I should note here that I have Asperger's Syndrome, a fact which will be coming up again yes. when I give a few more thoughts on the character. But yeah. I know those tics, and at least he was trying. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was wholly successful, but that's because of the script. Um, I should note, we keep referring to he. Let's give Martin Brest his name and do uh, shame for this, because uh, Martin Brest was the... He wrote and directed. Yeah. Yeah, this was a this was a personal project for him. Yeah, which sucks, because he did Scent of a Woman, which I actually liked. It's a very good movie. You know, this is the sad thing. You know he's better than this. Yeah, but... He's awfully self-indulgent. Yeah, and I think that was the problem. This was very, very self-indulgent writing. Then Jennifer Lopez shows up, delaying telling him who she is. Yeah, which is the other thing. This this movie doles out information painfully slowly. It's two hours long. It's two hours long. It's two hours and one minute long, and you can feel every inch of that two hours. Yeah. You do not. I. I have no reason why this movie was two hours long. No, you could. You could make a good half hour cut of this movie and still get all the necessary information. Yeah, easily. Yeah. So she finally reveals that she is. Uh, that she has been sent along to make sure he doesn't screw the job up. So finally, like skipping a few scenes where, uh, Ben Affleck. Yells at the kid, and I think he slaps him at one point. Yes, he does. What is it with you? No, you. Well, you just go in and out, right? You're an idiot. What, is, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, you're the fuck you still my duck fuck. <laughs> Why don't you do me a favor and just act fucking normal for a minute? You're just like Elliot. Just you're for a minute. Trouble with that? Huh? You're like, you're like Elliot over there. I know you understand what I'm talking about. Just fucking be normal, I'm telling, okay? I'm telling Not you fucking I'm crazy. You. Normal. What if I smack you in the fucking head? Huh? Hey. Leave him alone! What are you doing? We're supposed to watch him, not slap him around. I do have to note that when Jennifer Lopez shows up, she actually is kind of the voice of reason in that situation. And that's that's one of the few moments of the movie where I said, oh my god, thank you. There weren't many. Yeah, that's there's not much relief in this film, unfortunately. But yeah, then Christopher Walken shows up. You know, at this point in your mind you go, ooh, Christopher Walken. I hope he can save this. No, no. His dialogue is also very drawn out, and he finally tells you, like it, it's I don't know, a five seven minute scene. Yeah. And you only glean two pieces of information from that whole speech, you know, which is who the kid is and why he's important. Man, you know what I'd love to do right now? Go down to Marie Callender's, get me a big bowl, pie, some ice cream on it. Mmm, good. Put some on your head. Your tongue would slap your brains out trying to get to it. Interested? Sure. And that pie is delicious. And that pie is delicious. That's right. Okay, that part was worth it. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> disagree there. I thought that that moment was worth it. Just because it was so weird. Yeah, I think one of my Twitter comments was, "Come on, Christopher Walken, just go or catch him." I don't care, because they're trying to hide the kid in the back, who, of course, 
makes no noise at all. Because Even though he screams and flaps and gawks the rest of the film. <laughs> exactly. The one moment when it's convenient that he stays quiet. The reason that they have him is he's a prosecutor's brother, and they're trying to get the prosecutor to drop charges. They're basically ransoming the kid. That's why. So, of course, the thing that they're keeping him there with is, oh, yeah, we're going to go to the Baywatch, you know, because the kid keeps talking about the Baywatch. There's even a heartwarming scene where they're driving him around in a top-down convertible in the city that he was captured in. Yeah, they do this the whole film. Yeah, and, no reason. Yeah, and there's, and, like, nobody recognizes him or raises alarm or, but yeah, the, okay, bringing back the music, the music tries to tell you how to feel. Like, the music tries to fill in the gap that the film leaves in, in telling you how to feel. That's where all the beautiful girls are. They swim, swim there. You talk about the TV show. No, you, not TV, TV. The Baywatch is where they really are. They're really there. I think you could be friends there. Uh, at the very end of this touchy-feely scene where it's playing all this touchy-feely music, he says, I think that's where the sex is. And, and, and that's just one of those moments where I'm just seeing they're going... You just undercut a really not very good speech. I mean, it's 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 really kind of an abrasive, uh, insulting speech. But you still undercut one of the few moments where you were trying to evoke some emotion mm -hmm. with, aha, the retard said something funny. And I'm going to use that term because that's how they treat the character. Is yeah. They treat him as a walking joke. Yeah, they do. There's a scene where... Um, I'm going to be jumping around quite a lot in this because there's really no reason we should go by the plot point by point because nothing really happens. After the first hour, I was dying. <laughs> like, nothing has happened too. in this movie. Yeah. I was bored. <laughs> Me too. I was, I was ready to claw my eyes out. <laughs> I was so bored. One point that we haven't addressed yet is uh, Lopez's uh, character's uh, big personality trait. Oh yes. Um there is there's a scene where, you know, she's laying on a mat on the floor. You know, it's it's in his apartment. And the kid's taking up the couch, so she's laying on the floor and Ben Affleck in a very obvious move is going So, you know, look, don't take this the wrong way. Believe me. But I just this is you know I hate to see you sleep on the floor like that. I mean, come on. So, if you want to, you can go ahead and just, you know, just take half of my bed. She kind of looks at him like, okay, like, I know what you're trying to do, but whatever. Uh, she's sitting on her half, like, reading, and there's a prolonged scene where he's, like, looking in the mirror uh, in the bathroom. Like, showing off his muscles and tattoos to himself, I guess. Finally, he gets onto the bedroom. He, of course, tries to seduce her, and she says... What? What? You're not my type because I don't like penises. I'm a lesbian. Yeah, she actually says, uh, when you ask her, okay, what is it about me that you don't like? Your penis. Yeah, exactly. It's a very blunt film. Blunt like a shovel. If you think wrongly that that's the end of it, then you're wrong. 
Um, so, you know, throughout the film, there's kind of a sexual tension on his side, not necessarily on her side. There's a part, they each have a long, drawn-out speech about the superiority of male and female genitalia, respectively. Penis. That's right. It's very designed. Tells you everything you need to know. Forward motion of advancement, fucking progress into the dark, deep, mysterious, unknown. It's like adventure-seeking, frontier-conquering, obstacle-eradicating. Wow. Yeah, his speech, he's talking about the superiority of Venus. Yeah, it's a perfect product of evolution, and it, there's not really much beyond that. And I have her side of it, where she talked about the female form. Uh, and she's she's doing yoga. She's doing some pretty complex yoga during this scene. So she is, in fact, showing off her female form. Let us reconsider women for a minute, shall we? Sure. Their form. Neck. Shoulders. Legs, hips, I think pretty cool. Now, as far as your famous penis goes, the penis is like some sort of bizarre sea slug or like a really long toe. I'm so turned on. I mean, it's handy, important even, but the pinnacle of sexual design the top of the list of erotic destinations? I don't think so. One's first impulse is to kiss. What? To kiss the lips. Of course, you know exactly where she's going with the you know, kissing the lips thing. And, you know, she takes a long time to get there. The mouth is the twin sister of the vagina. And all creatures big and small seek the orifice, the opening to, to, to be taken in, engulfed, to be squeezed, lovingly crushed by what is truly the all-powerful, all-encompassing. No. And all the design, design you're concerned with, with hidden, hidden meaning, symbolism, symbolism, power, forget the top of Mount Everest, forget the bottom of the sea, the moon, the staff. Just reading this, I'm bored. Because it's so overdrawn. I mean, it occurs mm -hmm. to me, you could probably edit this monologue, like, just mm -hmm. with this raw clay, and maybe get something kind of witty. Maybe. <laughs> the material's maybe there, I don't know. Yeah, and that's that's also what's so frustrating, is that, you know, you feel like, there might be something here, but you're not entirely sure. And if you I mean, if you try to find it, you're not entirely sure if you're wasting your time. I mean, because the fundamental point of this monologue is a clever one. Th there is an idea here that's being played with, and it could have been witty. But my god, is it drawn out. Let's just finish the monologue, because... Yeah, let's move on from it. This is... Yeah, this is kind of... I think that's about the end of it. That's all it's worth noting. But that's that's about it. 
Well, there is the word choice that she makes at the end of it that just absolutely kills her. Oh, point. shit. Yeah, okay. There is no place nowhere that has been the object of more ambitions, more battles, than the sweet, sacred mystery between a woman's legs that I am proud to call my pussy. I, <laughs> I was just floored when that line came up because, again... Are you noticing a pattern here that every time the film tries to, like, make a legitimate point, it didn't undercuts itself? Yeah, exactly. By, uh, you know, she she could have, she could, you know, the more appropriate way to have ended a speech like that is to say, you know, what I'm proud to call my vagina. You know, because that's the name for it, and that's a more elegant word for it than pussy. The, this monologue, these two competing monologues are... They're almost a piece of stagecraft when you think about it. It's it's not dissimilar from the uh, monologues that would show up in a uh, Shakespeare play. Uh, I'm reminded a little bit of Much Ado About Nothing, Benedict's uh, dueling monologues before and after he has uh, discovered that Beatrice is supposedly in love with him. And yeah, I'm comparing Shakespeare here because... I was so, you know, I was so bored by this movie that I might as well bring up the highest of high arts. And uh, much do about nothing being one of my favorite uh, plays of all time, too. I'm a great fan of it. So it, it did remind me a little bit of that. Uh, the soliloquies. Yeah, except it was, this was shittily done. Oh yeah, this was horrendously done. Oh, this had the potential to have been a really great moment and a really funny witty moment. I mean, imagine what someone like Joss Whedon could have, who incidentally, Whedon's next film is an adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, speaking of which. Just imagine what someone like Whedon, who can write dialogue, could have done with this. Yeah, a guy who writes really good character moments. Like, he, if he had written nothing but the dialogue and the rest had been Martin Bress's uh, stage play, he might have been able to save this film. It might have been half an hour shorter. Possibly. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, cause this, let's remind people, Gigli was at one time slated to run 160 minutes. I just want to point <laughs> that out. Yeah, instead of it's uh, 121. That would have been 20 minutes longer than um, The Avengers, which included an alien invasion. Yeah, apparently it was. You mentioned it was supposed to be darker, which darker and violent. Yes, and I mean this film is already kind of dark in places. Not what the soundtrack wants you to think. That's right. The soundtrack wants you to think kooky, kooky, touchy feely comedy. No, and that makes the darker moments kind of piss you off even more. It's like, why is this in here? Why is this in here? We'll get to those in a moment. I mean, I I don't really even fault Lopez in this. Lopez, I don't fault her, but she's just so miscast that I didn't have anything to say about her. Which yeah, is a shame because comedy is her forte. She's quite good at. It. Watch out of sight. Watch out of sight if you want to see what this movie was trying to be, but so uh, yes. so so much better. Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, Steven Soderbergh, Scott Frank script, Elmore Leonard book. That's right. She was wonderfully cast in that. And she, you know, she plays a good opposite to George Clooney. Yeah, that's a really great movie. Yeah, so rec recommendation. 
And of course, that's the other thing about this speech. This firmly solidifies her as a lesbian. Her character is a lesbian. You know, we cannot forget this fact. She is not bisexual. She is a lesbian. You know, because obviously she abhors the male genitalia. Ben Affleck's, I don't know, boss partner, whatever, uh, calls him and says, okay, we gotta get serious here. We gotta cut off the kid's toe. And then, you know, to which Ben, being the hardcore gangster that he is, because they said up in the beginning he was about to tumble dry, and a guy says, what? I, I don't know if we should do this. This sounds a little extreme. And you think, well, are you a gangster or not? You know, I think that's what the guy even says. You know, I thought you were a professional. But yes, yeah, so did we. You know, it's one of those things that's not because... It's not because he's forming a bond with the kid. He is not doing that. You know, he he ha he has had the same temperament towards the kid that he had at the beginning. I think we're supposed to think that he's started to turn soft on the kid, but it's so clumsily handled. Yeah, it's not really, like, if, if they're trying to be subtle about it, it's not really, like, he treats the kid the same as he did in the beginning of the film. Yeah, because character, who needs that? Exactly. You know, and Jennifer Lopez, the person who's supposed to keep him on task, agrees with him that they shouldn't cut off the kid's toe. Correction, I think it was his thumb. Yeah, his thumb. That's right, his thumb. So he freaks out about the idea of having to do it, and that leads us to one of the most implausible scenes in the movie. Well, first off, um, even before that, there's a scene where, uh, you know, they get a knock on the door, and... This lady comes in, like, yelling at Jennifer Lopez, and and we we find, eventually get that, you know, she used to be her, her lover, and that, you know, broke up with her, and this lady's kind of being uh, clingy, and so she slits her wrists with a knife from the kitchen, and they bring her to the hospital. We see her wrists are bandaged up, you know, just gives Jennifer Lopez a hug, and she's never mentioned again. This scene comes into the movie, it's five minutes of chaos, and it does not affect a single thing that happens for the rest of it. This is the one moment where the room touches the it touches this movie. This is the one moment that those two films actually have in common. Yeah, this movie actually does touch that level with because that's this is that film scene with the uh, on the rooftop with the drug dealers. It's that same blows in. Doesn't impact anything we've seen since. It's just there. And, that, you know, you can almost forgive that in the room because there is a lot of that in that film. Almost every other scene is something that's just never mentioned again. I hate to say that you expect anything from this film, but you at least think that, you know, with the filmmaker, he would have the sense to have that tie in somewhere, at least thematically. The only purpose that serves is to get them to the hospital because of what they're going to do next, which they do on the fly. She's like, yeah, I agree. We shouldn't cut off his finger. And so like, well, what do you do? Mm, there's a morgue downstairs. She, like, distracts the person that is running the place, the one person that's running the place. That allows Ben Affleck and the kid, which they bring in for some reason, uh, to slip into the morgue. And he gets a plastic knife from the guy's dinner tray, who I guess is eating in the 
room with the dead bodies. Yeah, the more I think about this, the worse it is. Yeah, it's incredibly unrealistic. I mean, have you ever tried to even so much as saw a piece of pizza with one of those things? It doesn't work. He proceeds to take the cold, lifeless hand of one of the dead bodies and just start sawing away at it with the plastic knife. Human bone does not work that way. If you're thinking logically at all, which, you know, you would be, um, you think that there's going to be a point of comedy where it's like, oh yeah, this isn't working, I should find something else to, to try to saw this thing off with. But no! He's, he saws a guy's finger off, bone and all, with a plastic knife. He's trying to keep the kid's eyes closed so he doesn't know what's going on. And then the kid just smiles and he goes, I like big butts and I cannot lie. The other brothers can't deny. When the girl's walking with the AB waist and round things in your face, you get sprung. That's one of the many points where I lost it. It's like, oh. no, no, stop. I hate that song anyway. I hate it in... I mean, I just... I hate it. I despise it. If you want a song about uh, girls with big asses, you gotta go with Queen's Fat Bottom Girls. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they go to mail the finger, which is also totally plausible. Like, they, they put the finger in the envelope in front of the person that's going to mail it. They don't notice anything. No, not at all. It's like, oh yeah, we need a small envelope. And then they just, his taste out of his pocket and discreetly puts it in. And of course it's, we do see that it's like a wad of, it's in a wad of white cotton. Like, yeah, that's totally not suspicious at all. Jennifer Lopez and the mailing lady are giving each other Google eyes. That causes Ben Affleck to finally lose it. And so he gets all upset because she's had men before. Which, you know, to me, you know, and knowing how much she hates the male form and reveres the uh, the female form, that tells me that it took her a few tries before she figured it out. Which is actually very common. Yeah, which is fair enough. That's the only thing that, it, that conveyed to me. Apparently the filmmaker didn't think so. Because what happens next? He whines because she's, you know, she won't sleep with him. Which, the reasonable reaction would be, fuck you. She does not have that reaction. You know something? You're right. It is sadness. It's sadness, and I'm fucking sad. You got me. You're a genius. You know why I'm fucking sad? Because I got this fucking beautiful, sexy, gorgeous, heartthrobarama, fucking smart, amazing, bombshell, 17 on a fucking 10 scale girl, sleeping in a bed right next to me. You know what? She's a stone-cold dyke. Later that night, you know, she, she says, Do you think your fingernails need trimming? And he does the thing where he holds out his hand and extends his fingers to look at his fingernails. Look, I have no idea if this is true or not. But I've heard it said that those who are balanced more toward the masculine of either sex check their fingernails this way. And those balanced more toward the feminine check them that way. And I just had a feeling that even though you have this tough guy thing going on, that you are wrestling with some very strong feminine leanings. 
That's fucking bullshit. If you can't see where this is going, uh, she seduces him. With one of the unsexiest lines in cinema history. <laughs> Jesus. Turkey time. And he says, what? You know. Gobble, gobble. Yeah, because, you know, there, there's no sexier phrase in the English language than gobble. Ah. <laughs> I'm going to use that one on my fiancé. <laughs> see what happens. So that happens, and they have a sex scene. That pissed me off. Just for a simple fact that, you know, she is very firmly a lesbian. She has a whole monologue about how she's turned off by the male form. The, the logic of them sleeping together is she sees his feminine side? No. That's completely illogical. No. That is BS. Let's get to Al Pacino. He shows up. He's the criminal that uh, is being prosecuted. Blah, blah, blah. Michael Corleone, people. You know, of course, a lot of words are put into his mouth. A lot of very unnecessary words. Did you know that apparently some people do not regard the thumb technically to be a finger? Curious for myself, I turned to Lewis here, who with his newfound dictionary skills, looked it up for me. You know what it said? <clears throat> it said, quote, the short thick inner digit of the hand next to the forefinger, unquote. <laughs> now, it said digit, not finger. So I still don't really know technically if it's considered a finger or not. At that point, it's like, yeah, this is this is very much if a dictionary had diarrhea, yes. But you know what's the most intimidating quality? Not that you asked, but the absolutely most intimidating, in my opinion, when an individual just doesn't give a shit. Lewis, you want to go to medical school? Medical school? <laughs> yes! He shoots the guy. He shoots Ben Affleck's partner boss. You know, that part does kind of get you. You go, whoa, Jesus. You know, that part does get you, I will admit. But, you know, and after that, it is a little bit more tense, even though the dialogue really bogs it down. So by the end, of all the tension is dispelled. Okay, so at the end of that, you know, the guy's shot, he's yelled at him, he's, he's pretty much threatening that he's going to kill them on the spot, too. That was what I got from that it's like what you know what good are you guys and so jennifer lopez starts talking fuck this cutting off his thumb was a stupid order and we would have been derelict in our responsibilities if we had followed it hello how long do you think we could have kept below the radar with a thumbless bleeding half-wit you see sometimes one has to use their professional prerogative to override a dumb request. With all due respect. Being a logical thing to do, he lets them leave. Al Pacino, after yelling at him and shooing a guy. Also, the touchy-feely music starts playing during Lopez's speech. After Al Pacino yells threateningly and shoots a guy. I just need to note here that uh, the composer of the film, John Powell, look up his score for How to Train dragon because that's an amazing score that is sweeping epic perfect score for a really good movie yes so that's that's my recommendation there 
Yeah. I don't even, like, I imagine, as forced as that feels, I imagine that's not his fault either. No. Like, the brother's fault. Powell's done a lot of good work in the past. I know he did at least a couple of the foreign films. He knows how to score a movie. This was this was fairly early in his career, and I just I don't know what's going on here. But then again, that yeah. sums up the whole movie, doesn't it? It does, and I think we're also kind of we kind of have a running theme here, which is you know it's not anybody else's fault, but the writer director. But anyway, it should be noted that at this point in the movie, we still have 20 minutes to go. We do. And that's... This should have been five more minutes and that's it. We have 20 minutes of this garbage. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing, you know it's building slowly, torturously to the end, but yeah, you do look at the remaining running time and go, Really? How much more is this? How much more is there to say? Twist at the end. They, like, they're trying to figure out what to do with the kid, and then they pass they pass a movie set of a beach. It may be Baywatch, it may not be Baywatch. But the kid says, The Baywatch, we found the Baywatch He's like, Can we 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 have to stop, we promised, we have to go to the Baywatch and it's like, No, no, we can't enjoy for a little bit. Well, we're here. So they do the logical thing and take the kid that they kidnapped to a movie set. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Why that, not? That, that just happened. Why the hell not? They've never been cut this far. You know, a bunch of nothing happens, and then the kid goes down onto the set, and, like, after Ben Affleck, I guess, half-assedly calls the cops and says, Yeah, in Los Angeles. The U.S. courthouse, the office of a James Dorff. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll give you my name. Give me a minute. Hold on. I forgot it. That's pretty much all he does as far as alerting the cops to where the kid is. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, they basically, and they leave him there. They basically abandon the kid. I was hell-bent and determined to finish this, to, you know, just get it over with. That was a point where I slammed on the pause button, stared at the screen angrily for a few seconds, ripped off my headphones, threw them across the room, and then took a 20-minute walk. (laughs) I don't blame you. Yeah, and I seriously did consider not finishing the movie. And you would have missed nothing. Yeah, nothing. And of course, Jeffrey Lopez says, you know, after they sleep together, like, listen, this has been fun, but I'm leaving after this. I just want you to know that. So she does. She does kind of leave, and he he gives her his car. I don't know what he plans to do, because they both want to leave town. Which also was kind of weird, because didn't they get the permission of the guy to just give the kid back and they both want to skip town. I don't know. I guess it's for the police, but the police haven't really been chasing them. So I don't know. I give up Yeah, I'm trying to find a logic in this, but of course she comes back for him and they drive off into the sunset together. It's still, I guess a little ambiguous as to whether they'll be together. Cause she, you know, she even says, you know, we wouldn't make each other happy because I'm a lesbian. Uh, oh. I think that's all that can be said. That's all yeah. that can be said about this movie. We have said all there is to say. Yeah, we 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 we, we have done it, and yeah, it just oh, it's so much nothing. It is it is a giant festival of nothing. Nothing happens. 
in the movie. Nothing. It, it is, it is just, it is, it is vapid. It is vacuum. There's, there's no plot. There's no story. There's nothing of interest. Anytime you think there might be something of interest, no, it, it totally kills it. It just occupies a lot of space. It's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. Yeah. That's, I think, one of the comments I made you know, after this movie. It's like, it'd be one thing if it was dumb and forgettable, but this is dumb and clings to your memory like a plague. Yeah, it is, it is plague-like. I do not disagree. I think the thing we have to say to this movie before we leave it behind is, Argo, fuck yourself. Yeah, I think that's the appropriate term. Yeah. Which, transition, Argo. Argo. Well, I mean, I suppose before we get there, we should look at what happened kind of in the gap time between then and there. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. That is very important. Because um, there is there is a lead-up. I mean, Affleck had a... Obviously, this movie destroyed... Affleck and Lopez's relationship didn't survive the movie. Um, that collapsed quickly. You know, Lopez's career has never recovered from it. Like, uh, she hasn't gotten her back on her feet at all. Um, yeah, Affleck, which is too bad. Affleck, however, took a series of pretty nasty bumps. Uh, his next film after this was Paycheck from uh, John Woo, which would have flopped anyway. But yeah, I actually, did... I actually quite enjoyed Paycheck. I thought it's, I thought it's decent. I mean, it's yeah. it's not a film. It's not a film that I've seen, but I I know it's known not to be at all too bad. Uh, like there was a trend of uh, Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick short stories or and novels that got adapted into movies, and that was part of that. I haven't read the original story, but I'm sure the film has nothing to do with it. it that's how the adaptations of his work usually go, with the exception of a scanner darkly, yeah. which is superb and highly recommended. Um, oh yeah. I'll tell you, he had a film after that that really suffered a lot because of the backlash of originally uh, Surviving Christmas, which I thought was pretty damn funny. I have never seen that. I actually do recommend it. It's very dark. It's 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 a great cast. Uh, Affleck, James Gandolfini, uh, Catherine O'Hara, Christina Applegate. It's a good cast. But no, um, but I mean, from there, Affleck's, I mean, it just got worse for him. Uh, let's see. Uh, he had a cameo in Electra, but they asked that. Uh, it didn't show up until the uh, DVD. Oh. And and yet, that still might have wound up being the single most redeeming moment of his uh, life during this period. Mm-hmm. Because that was, because there, at, on his third film to work with Jennifer Garner, they hooked up. And when I say hooked up, I mean they're actually now still happily married uh, with three kids. Yeah, they seem pretty down-to-earth and... Happy and stable. Yeah, and they keep their marriage private. Yeah. Which is great. I've seen photos of them out in public, and I mean, they they look like genuinely happy people. Yeah. Uh, It was well known that uh, Affleck tried, that they tried to make their daughters involved in the Oscar experience. this year, but uh, you know, Affleck had a lot of small parts here and there. Um, he started directing. Uh, I believe 2006 was when Gone Baby Gone came out. I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't seen The Town from 2009. 
but those are known to be very good movies. Uh, one film from 2009 that Affleck did that I did see, though, was Extract. Have you seen that? Extract? Yeah, from Mike Judge. Yeah, I saw that. I forgot he was in it. Oh, yeah, he has a pretty good-sized role in it. He's funny in it. But, yeah, I do remember that movie was very good. I think a lot of critics panned it, and I think it might have bombed. It did. But I can't imagine why. Like, because if you, if you like Mike Judge, if you like Office Space, if you like Beyonce Bad, if you like King of the Hill, then I can't see you not liking Extract. I watched it a few months ago. It really is. It really does hold up. It's an amazing cast of comedic actors, too. Pretty much nobody in there is a, a dud. Uh, this brings us, anyway, let's just cut through forward to today and to Argo. Not going to spend much time on, as much time on the plot synopsis. I, I think that'd be probably better for us, just because this is one where, frankly, the less you know walking in, the better. Yeah. Because we're not going to try to warn you away from seeing Argo. We're going to, I mean, I'm just going to say right now, the film won Best Picture, but that doesn't have any bearing on if I'm recommending it or not. I was fervently recommending the film before it won Best Picture. I fervently recommend it afterwards. Argo is just a ton of fun. Oh, it's great. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. It, you know, it has you from the very first scene. Um, of course, you if you know what it's about, I think we can give a little bit of a synopsis. Yeah, I mean, we, that, I mean, you need a basic synopsis. It's about it was it was the seventies, right? Uh, eighty nineteen eighty is the during the Iranian hostage crisis. Which we see the beginning of in a, at the beginning of the film, and that's a sequence of just, I mean, that's, that's, that's an amazing hook for the film. Oh, yeah. I do recommend prior watching slash reading. Like, you don't have to. You do not have to have prior reading for this film. It sets it up quite nicely. But if you want a bit of backstory on the history, uh, I recommend watching reading Persepolis. Oh, yes. Support stuff. I mean, I just recommend that anyway. It's a very entertaining, yeah, animated French film by Marjane Satrapi about her, basically her life, you know, as an Iranian. It does, there's a period in that film where it does deal with what was happening in Iran during that point. But yeah, but that's just another side recommendation that's not really required. The American embassy in Iran was being stormed by protesters and basically being taken over. And six people got out and are hiding in the Canadian embassy. But the problem is that they are stuck there. And so the CIA is trying to figure out how to get them out. Ben Affleck plays in the film. He does very well. He's, uh, his character is very subdued, even though he's the main character. It's not the flashy part of the film. It's the film's very, he's very much the grounded center of the film. Yes. He's kind of what propels everything... But at the same time, he's not hes not what the attention is focused on. That's pretty much the basic premise of Argo. The plan that he comes up with is he wants to pose as a Canadian film crew to go in and get them out. They make it legit by actually having a film in, produ in production, a film called Argo, that they want to shoot in Iran. Which, again, is based on a true story, so... Oh, yeah. This absurd concept actually happens. Yeah, that's pretty much all you need to know going in. You don't even need to know that much. What people need to know about the film is that it's just absolutely entertaining as all hell. I mean, it is. Oh, yeah. It's funny. It's exciting as can be. I mean, I saw this movie at 9.30 in the morning. And even though I drank a Mountain Dew, 
This was better than the Mountain Dew for keeping me awake because this held me. I mean, I I could not move from my seat. I was spellbound. And it's funny because if you think about it, Affleck's character in the film is sort of the director of the mission. He's the one who's in charge of seeing everything work and seeing that everything gets pulled off. So I think that's a nice little bit of behind-the-scenes irony that he is, after all, the film's director. And I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the controversy that Affleck was not nominated for Best Director. Yeah, it's true. Like, he, it was nominated, of course, and won Best Picture, but he did not get Best Director. Did the screenplay get nominated at all? Screenplay won. Screenplay won. Oh, it won. Yeah, uh, which it should have. I mean, that's a really dynamite piece of writing. Uh, it should have won, yeah. Uh, we have to note that, you know, each of his other uh, directorial films, I think he has written. This was one he did not, though. He did not. He didn't write this one. No, no, he did not. This was a previously existing script. It actually bounced around the industry for a little bit uh, before Affleck took it on. <laughs> That's kind of interesting, considering what happens in the film. It is like with with the script. In my opinion, even though I know Best Director went to Angley for Life of Pi, which actually is how I would have cast my vote. But that, but that's because Life of Pi was my favorite film last year. I still think Affleck absolutely should have been nominated for Best Director, and I think that if he if he had won, I would not have complained about him winning over Angley. Just as I'm not complaining about the film winning, because as I said, this is you know I think that's the danger that you get when you discuss the Oscars is the idea that okay if one film wins, well then suddenly blah 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 is less worthy. No, no, no. I'm not mad that Life of Pi didn't win Best Picture. As long as it's a film that I can still look at and go, yeah, that's a really... I think the rule that I keep is, if this hadn't been in play, could I at least say that that should have won? And yeah, I can easily say that this is a worthy choice. I mean, in terms of serious films, I'd actually probably put Argo as my number two pick for the serious film last year that I love. But it's not a serious film. Again, it's still very fun. Um, it is. I was surprised by... I expected it to be, you know, wall-to-wall tense. And it was not. It was. It did have very good, appropriate comedic relief. Well, a lot of that came from casting Alan Arkin and uh, John Goodman, who are so very good in their parts. And can we say that John Goodman looks exactly like the guy he's playing? Dead on. I mean... They even show comparison pictures at the end. Pretty much the whole cast looks pretty close to what they're playing, but he's he is that guy. He looks so much like uh, Chambers, the guy he was playing, that you know they just looked at real-life photos of Chambers and decided, well, we gotta get John Goodman. And that's a good thing, because, man, wouldn't it have stunk if they looked at him and he was a dead ringer for Rob Schneider? <laughs> oh, God. I mean, at least with John Goodman, you have the advantage that the part's been cast for you, and it's a really awesome act. Yes. Because, I mean, I, I love Goodman. He's always a plus for a film. I mean, as a director, Affleck, I think Affleck's smartest thing that he does is that he's not showy. It's just a tense, well-directed film. I, I want to go back and see the rest of his film. I, I, I need to. I think he's going to be an interesting director. He, he has gained uh, new life you know, as a director. I think that Geely may have needed to happen as much as I hate to say it. I agree. Because he has proven, like, with Goodwill Hunting, he has proven that he is a very good writer. He is very talented. And, of course, as an actor, he is also very talented. I said, I do not I do not blame him for G... Uh, yeah, one of the questions that kept popping up for Geely is, why did he accept this? And I think the reason is that he did see something, you know, just like, just like we did. He did see something redeeming, you know, in the script. But that the script and the movie just 
fails to deliver. I mean, I think it's funny because so much of it is execution. I read a sp- I read an early draft of The Happening, and I thought, oh, you know, this could be pretty good. Really? I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, I read an early draft, and I was like, well, this is at least interesting. This is at least fun. It's at least crazy. Mm-hmm. It didn't wind up. It wound up being the thing about it is I read that draft. And I was picturing M Night Shyamalan having a little bit more schlock in him than he did. I didn't expect him to take it so mortally seriously. I thought Shyamalan was maybe going to have some fun with it. And the first draft was a little bit crazier. I mean, I know that some of those scenes did make it in as deleted scenes, but I mean, like there was a mass suicide of children at one. Point. Oh my god! That would have been interesting. Yeah. You know, I did watch the extras after uh, I saw the movie. One of the things he was preoccupied with was getting an R rating. And that's when you miss the point. I mean, yeah. Anytime you make the rating the point, you miss the point. Uh, I am writing a script that I will inevitably not finish right now, but I'm still writing it with the thought of a PG-13. And that's only because the characters that I'm writing are not the kind of characters that would be the cursing of the foul spree. Um, even if their writer is the kind of guy who would. Um, I don't know. I mean, but I, I, I don't know. I, it's funny, because, I mean, again, I talk about, I've read a lot of scripts from movies before they came out, and some of them wound up not working. I actually thought G.I. Joe, I didn't like the script very much, but I actually thought the film was a tremendous amount of fun. So, I mean, you never know. It's sometimes it's all in the execution. And then there have been times when I've read scripts that I really and truly loved, like, I really loved the script for the Adjustment Bureau, and the film wound up absolutely satisfying that. Or I read the script of Batman Begins before that came out, and I was telling people very confidently, get excited, and when it came out, it was like, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. But then again, that's probably because with Christopher Nolan, what he, in the case of uh, Batman Begins, what he put on the page was so clearly delineated that it was obvious where he's going to go with his film. There wasn't any cause for alarm. So, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe act like Red, Red and saw something in it. I mean... Yeah, and he, he's a screenwriter, so he, he knows how to read screenplays with thought like that. Yeah. So, you know, he did see something, and ultimately it did not work. And who knows, maybe the script for Geely is better than the movie Geely. I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> Somehow I doubt it because of the dialogue, but I don't know. I mean, I've read some Quentin Tarantino script before I saw the movie, uh, Inglourious Bastards and Kill Bill, and those were both great, tremendous pieces of writing. Yeah. And in the case of Tarantino, even though the scripts were dramatically altered in the course of the film, uh, Tarantino does tend to do that. Yeah. A good case with that for me was I, I absolutely hated the film Natural Born Killers, which was directed by Oliver Stone, written by Quentin Tarantino. For I understand that they, you know, was that they had a falling out because of that film. Yeah. Because, well, Stone heavily rewrote Tarantino's work to the point where it can't really be considered his. No. Yeah, but I did read the script after seeing the movie and hating it, and I kind of enjoyed the script. It's a different piece of writing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It feels like Tarantino through and through. I mean, it's it's more off the wall than, say, Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs, which is what that film falls between. But it's, you know, it, it does echo of his uh, later work. It was a bit more zany. But, I mean, getting back to Julie, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, the, the contrast between that and Argo really is pretty mm-hmm. 
it, it's funny because it occurs to me that I don't think Argo is much longer than Jilin. No, it's about an hour forty. Well, then that would actually make it a bit shorter. I mean, it's it's the thing about it is Argo moves so damn fast that I mean, you really do care. Of course, it, that of course that's maybe the other thing is there's stakes in Argo and there's none in Jilin. The way Martin Brest treats the situation they're in is very light and well like it doesn't matter like he doesn't care about the plot so you know why should we no we don't we shouldn't and i didn't i mean again i guess the plots the actual what's happening in the story is supposed to be a macguffin for their relationship but that fails because we don't believe the relationship i guess that's what kind of pissed me off the most is that you know the character stuff breaks the suspension of disbelief we know we've been comparing this to chasing amy a lot um, yeah, that's the point we didn't hit on. Well, let me pause to hit on hit on it for just a moment because chasing Amy was dealt with the fact that okay, when this woman sleeps with Affleck, it's more because she's bisexual who chooses not to adopt that identity and chooses to adopt a lesbian identity because of the cultural factors that come with it. That is a movie that's very explicit in its dealings with the idea of gay and lesbian culture, and is sort of a criticism of mono. Lithic gender identity, this you know, views. Uh, Smith, it's probably Smith's smartest script that it's. I mean, it is a razor sharp piece of writing. And it's also, you know, one of Ben Affleck's best films as an actor. It is. It is a tremendous performance by him. But, I mean, that's a movie that dealt with its ideas and actually had things to bring to the floor. <clears throat> All that's missing. In this, it's, I mean, it helped that, I know that Smith said that he, part of the reason that he was inspired to write it was having met some actual lesbians. I believe that. And for everyone who's not aware of the plot of Chasing Amy, Ben Affleck falls in love with a lesbian in that also. That actually is the plot. <laughs> yeah, there's no mystery there. Uh, and they do wind up together, uh, if for at least a brief period. But it's believable in that. Because, yeah, it does deal with the concept of gender identity. And she does have, and she also has a monologue. The actress that plays um, Amy, or not Amy. No, the character's name is not Amy. Um, Alyssa. Alyssa, yes. Alyssa, thank you. And she also has a monologue. You know, he asks her, well, why why go back to guys now? You know, like, well, because... I did I did search around for guys and none of them were working for me, but I figured, well why why limit yourself to one gender if the perfect person is out there for you? So it's like I went back to that when I considered you because why why stick to, you know, one gender if that perfect person is there? Yeah, which is beautiful. Yeah. But again, Smith actually thought this one through. I see a distinct lack of that in this one. I I don't know. It's, there's so much, there's just so much wrong with this movie. Another point that I really do want to hit on is, I was deeply offended by the character of the cute retard. Ugh, yeah. As I mentioned, I have Asperger's Syndrome, which is a form of autism. I don't like seeing mental disorders portrayed as cute and fun. And I found this character profoundly problematic. And, you know, played up for laughs. Played up for laughs. And, you know, I guess it's more all the more annoying to me because right now I'm recording this in a house that I managed to get uh, with my fiance, who I deeply love in this house currently. 
you know, I've worked for my life, and so to see mental disorders sort of belittled, I find it offensive. And I just found this movie, I, I found his character offensive. So uh, I got no love for that. I got no love for that. And I think that we both had our points of contention on both, but yeah, you were, you're more offended with the, with that character, and I'm more offended with the lesbian thing. But make no mistake, we're still offended by the whole thing. We're still offended by the whole thing, yes. But those are just the bones we pick. I'm going to go out on a limb here and ask, is there anything about the movie that you liked? There was one funny joke, one part that I almost considered laughing. And that was, like, you know, the kid The kid says, read to me. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to read to you. Read to me. It's like, you don't read books? Like, no. So he starts reading to him about the Tabasco bottle. That in itself was not funny. That that fell flat. Yeah. But there but there was a point where where, you know, he says, Okay, you know, we should get you bed. Like, okay. And then and then it smash cuts to he's reading off a thing of like a Charmin toilet paper roll. And yeah. that part I did that did strike me. Like, oh, a funny joke. Okay, or a funny callback. There's actually a funny callback in this film. Yeah, that that I did get a little bit of enjoyment out of. I wasn't opposed to the cinematography. I thought that it was at least a nice-looking film. It was a well-shot film. Uh, it was a well-shot film. Probably because the cinematographer was uh, Robert Ellsworth, who's done uh, most of Paul Thomas Anderson's films. Uh, mm -hmm. He's an Oscar winner for There Will Be Blood. Uh, he shot Michael Clayton. All of them are visually striking films. So, I mean, it, it at least had decent tech credits there, but I feel like that's such a, that's such an almost you're grasping at straws thing, uh, especially on a film like this where there was no effort put into the cinematography, in, into anything beyond that, frankly. I mean, yeah. it, it, and there didn't need to be any effort on the cinematography. I like good cinematography, but it felt almost unnecessary here. It felt out of place. It did. I don't know. I mean, what more do you say about it? I look forward to forgetting it. Yeah, exactly. Just moving on. Like, I I hope I can move on from this film. I've you been will. talking about it the last few days to people and just... You bled it out. Yeah, exactly. Just how angry it makes me. I have to say this. It offended my filmic sensibilities. It offended every one of my filmic sensibilities. Like, I... Uh, there are things in this, like, there are things I like in a film, and that's when they put good use to continuity, they put good use to callbacks, you know, the dialogue is rich, and this had tried to have all that, but failed miserably, and it just it offended my sensibilities. It offended me beyond that, too, of course, but it just, it kind of offended me on every level. I, I think, I mean, I think it's kind of how I feel about it. It offended me, and I'm ready to start watching a good movie here. Yeah, yeah I, want, I want to go and watch Ben Affleck's other films now. His other directorial films. I want to watch anything else. Anything else. Exactly. I, I yeah, just no recommendation here for me on Julie, but Argo's on Redbox now. Oh yeah, it is. That's how I saw it. And it's it's highly recommended. Uh, you watch it, you won't regret it. I think this would be a good time to just call it quits. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think we've talked about all we could talk about. Well, you know, not necessarily in Argo. We could we could go for hours on Argo, but yeah, save yeah. that for let's save that for a rainy day and 
encourage people to see it and do their own discussions on it. Absolutely. See Argo. Don't we've told you all you need to know about Geely, but see Argo. Yep. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail dot com. And you we have a Twitter account. Uh follow us. We'll tweet updates and just general movie stuff. Our Twitter account is at filmroomcast. And you can you know, you can send us suggestions on what we should talk about. We will uh we'll gladly listen. Oh, and we are on iTunes now. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! Big time. There are a multitude of ways you can listen to us. That there are. That there are. <laughs> I'm Albert. I'm Austin. This has been the Phil Room. See you next time. Bye. Good night, everybody. And round things in your face, you get sprung. Well, pull up tough, cause you notice that butt was stuffed. Cause I'm long, and I'm strong, and I'm down to get the friction on. So, ladies, yeah, ladies, yeah, you wanna roll my Mercedes? Yeah. So, turn around, stick out. Even white boys got to shout. Baby got back. We go, we go, we go, we go, we go. Baby got back. We go, we go, we go, we go.